If you would turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I believe most of you know this passage very well. You probably have it memorized. This is the living word of God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your living word, and we here are your people by your grace. We are your children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Fill us this morning with your spirit that we might understand and apply your precious word and grow as obedient disciples, living sacrifices. For we ask this in the name of our Savior and our Lord and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, some of you might remember, you have better memories than I do, that at the beginning of 2013, that was almost a year ago, we, uh, as a session, uh, decided that we really needed to focus on the vital necessity of prayer. We needed to be a praying church. And we heard, first of all, uh, in the beginning in January, we talked about uh, the Lord's Prayer and the pattern that we have in the Lord's Prayer to uh, become a, a praying church. And uh, so the session sought to make this year uh, a focus on prayer, uh, beginning a habit of prayer in this congregation and growing in our prayer lives as individuals and as a session and as a congregation. And uh, actually, we all know prayer is uh, essential, it's vital. It should be one of the main activities of any church in any given year, uh, but we still need regular reminders of that. And today I'd like to share some thoughts uh, from this passage, um, and uh, these thoughts on these commands, actually, uh, that could really change the coming year for us as a congregation and for us as families and individuals. These three verses, uh, verses 15, 16, and, uh, 16, 17, and 18, these three verses are part of about 22 verses uh, are, that are all commands. So this section is a section of commands in 1 Thessalonians 5, and uh, these commands uh, are... It says at the end of these commands, these are the will of God. This is the will of God that we obey these commands and to apply these at all times. And prayer is a major part of these commands. Now, in the letter to the Thessalonians, uh, if you were to read through that, you could see that uh, it was a suffering church. And they were, they were suffering, they were being persecuted, and uh, the brethren were uh, very sad uh, at the death of fellow believers. And so Paul knew that they needed to hear that Jesus was coming again. So he proclaimed that uh, because they needed uh, hope and the comfort that that knowledge would give them. And Paul also called them to do those things, these commands, to do those things which would help them to endure uh, during a time of persecution. There is comfort in obedience to the commands of the living God. And uh, so they needed to hear these commands uh, which would help them to not lose heart. And so do we this morning. So the first command is that we are commanded to rejoice always. Now, one of the best examples of this uh, in, uh, is in the epistle to the Philippians. And uh, Philippians is a prison epistle, as 1 Thessalonians also is. And uh, Paul uh, wrote uh, the book of Philippians, likely in a prison in Rome. Uh, not a, a great place to write a, a, an epistle that is really all about joy. And it just doesn't seem like a letter from a man in prison. So, uh, but I would like to look uh, briefly at the book of Philippians. So if you'd open that, we're going to go very quickly through... Uh, some verses. In fact, there are 16 uh, verses or sections that talk about joy in this 
book, in this short epistle. And Paul is a, is a great example of someone who is rejoicing always, praying constantly, and giving thanks in all circumstances. So I'd like to go quickly through this uh, right now, beginning in chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul was very joyful. Every time he remembered the Philippians, he was uh, joyful. And as he prayed for them, he was joyful, even though he was in prison. And whenever he thought of them, it was with thankfulness also. Uh, in fact, you'll see through the, the time today that these three are usually, are almost always connected. Uh, joyfulness, th uh, prayer, and thankfulness, they are connected. And whenever he prayed for them, which was often, it was with joy. He prayed with joy. And if we are not praying for each other, we are missing the joy of seeing the Lord's work in each other by the grace of prayer. We are called to pray for each other. And as much as prayer is, I know, an effort, it can be an effort, it is part of the joy of the Lord to pray for each other. Now, one suggestion would be if you are lacking, if you believe you are lacking in joy at this point in your life, uh, it might be that you're not praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, through 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former, that is the folks doing it in envy, strife, and competition, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So Paul rejoiced that Christ was being preached, uh, the good news was being preached, even in rivalry and competition and selfish ambition. You know, he rejoiced that the gospel of Christ was being preached in, in every way, in every way, uh, even by those who were competing, essentially, against Paul. And we can rejoice uh, that we hear the good news uh, each Lord's Day, certainly, uh, and see it in the table of the Lord and may the Lord keep us from selfish ambition and competition. And, and it's something that shouldn't be competitive, and we should long and, and rejoice to proclaim the good news. Because if we are doing this out of envy or competition in any way, it will suck the joy out of this body. We should not be doing so. And uh, let, so let's rejoice as each individual and family shares the gospel in the variety of ways that God has given them to do that. We are gifted to do that in different ways. As God enables you, proclaim the good news with joy. Chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul here was rejoicing that he would remain in the flesh uh, to be able to serve and build up uh, his uh, dearly uh, loved brethren in Philippi. Now, several verses before this, he had just said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So he longed to be with the Lord, to rejoice in the presence of the Lord, but he knew that the, the Philippians would rejoice also to see him again. And uh, this shows, another, again, a great joy of fellowship that Paul had uh, with his brothers in Philippi and how he really missed them. He missed them greatly when he was absent from them. And this, again, is something I believe that should characterize us. It does characterize us, uh, but it should even more so that uh, when we are not able to have fellowship here, uh, that uh, we would uh, long for it. We would uh, seek to rejoice with each other again. Uh, 
Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, Paul asked them to fulfill his joy. Essentially, he's saying, I want to be joyful. Fulfill my joy. Um, And uh, he he wanted them to make him even more joyful uh, by becoming more like Christ, by becoming unified in Christ and growing in Christ-likeness. And there is great joy in being like-minded, is there not? Uh, Having the same love for each other, uh, being of one accord, of one mind. And this unity is a great source of joy uh, for us all. But disunity and divisiveness, again, I believe, sucks the joy out of our fellowship, out of us. And may the Lord make us one and unified in joy in him as he prayed for us in in John chapter 17. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, Paul was rejoicing that he could suffer and possibly die for them. He, he was sacrificing for them. In fact, he, he phrased it, he's being poured out like a sacrifice, being poured out as a drink offering for them. Uh, and that was a joyful thing for him. He rejoiced in that. And uh, then he encourages them to rejoice in his sufferings, to rejoice in his sufferings, that he was suffering for them as, as he was uh, rejoicing in them. And if they would, were going to suffer in the same way, uh, to also rejoice in that. And as we sacrifice for each other here, may our joy increase. Chapter 2, verse 28. Therefore I sent him, that is Epaphroditus, I sent Epaphroditus the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. So Paul sent Epaphroditus because he knew that the Philippians would rejoice to see him again. They knew that Epaphroditus had been sick and had almost died. And Epaphroditus, if you read uh, that passage, you see he's a a real servant. He was an encouraging uh, man. And so uh, they longed, the Philippians longed to see him again. So Paul made this decision uh, to send Epaphroditus to them uh, for their joy. Even though Paul was blessed, I'm sure, and would have rejoiced to keep Epaphroditus with him also, uh, but he sent him anyway. And the question I would ask is, do we make decisions this way? Do we realize that increasing the joy of others will increase ours also? Do we actively seek to increase the joy of others? Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now the point of this section is that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, not in things that we think might give us confidence to come before the Lord or give us joy in other ways, but we are to rejoice in the Lord. And it's good for us to often call each other here to Keep rejoicing, to keep rejoicing. It's safe to do so. It's safe to do it often. So let's encourage each other more often to live in joy. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Here, Paul was again showing that he really loved them and he longed to see them and be with them. Uh, They were to be his joy and his crown when the Lord returns. Not, Not the meager joy that he uh, had from the earthly recognition before his conversion. He had many reasons, he thought, to be joyful. He had a lot of reasons to say, uh, I am a godly person, but uh, now he was rejoicing as they remained steadfast in the Lord. They were his joy because they were the crown that he wanted 
when the Lord returned. People, in fact, were his joy. People were his joy, not things or, or other things. People were his joy. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So he can't say it enough, and he repeats it again. Uh, and it's, clear, it's God's clear will that we rejoice, and it's clearly a command. We have to rejoice always. We shouldn't let situations or people rob us of this joy. Our joy is in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, and in his presence there is fullness of joy. So let's repeat this often to each other. Again, I don't think we can repeat it enough to each other. Rejoice in the Lord. We should do that. In fact, would you repeat after me? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Let's say that often. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Uh, I said that, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, he said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Uh, Paul rejoiced that they showed their love for him by sending a financial gift. You know, Paul had given himself, he was pouring himself out as a sacrifice for them, and they joyfully gave back to him in a financial way, but in other ways. Now may the Lord cause us to give of ourselves to each other, even more so than we already do. I believe we are a joyful church. We are growing in joy, and we are growing in our ability to give joy to each other. And may the Lord uh, enable us to do so even more. So how can we be more joyful? I just have a few ideas. Uh, to, and joy can be cultivated. Uh, joy can be cultivated. In fact, C.S. Lewis had a great uh, phrase. He called joy the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I thought, that's interesting. It took me a while to think about that. But, you know, we are citizens of heaven. We are made to be joyful. And so C.S. Lewis, it's our business. We're supposed to be doing the business of being joyful. Uh, it's an interesting thought. The serious business of heaven is to be joyful. Now, preparing for uh, an eternity of joy in heaven. So first of all, I would recommend that you pray through the word. Pray through the word and according to the word. Similar to what we've just done in Philippians. Um, and, and, you know, read through Philippians Pray through those same verses on joy. Uh, pray through the Psalms of praise. And uh, the word will help you uh, to be able to rejoice. And it brings, uh, the word itself actually brings joy. In Psalm 119, it says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And the picture there is if you were walking around and you saw a treasure chest and you opened it and, I mean, you're just awed. You open it up and you, well, you don't think about anything else at that point. You're, you know, throwing this stuff around. Well, Shouldn't we open the living word of God the same way? This is a treasure we have. It's a treasure chest full of things that should give us great joy. And Jeremiah, when uh, the prophet Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. This is Jeremiah 15 and 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Uh, you know, you can picture devouring them. Your words were found and I ate them and your word became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So I would pray that all of us would be more like Jeremiah. And the more we're in the word, the more joy will uh, be coming from us. Uh, the second thing I would recommend is that, uh, that you just ask the Lord for joy during suffering. Uh, in Matthew 5, it says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Exceedingly glad at, at suffering. In 1 Peter, and in fact, the book of 1 Peter could be titled Joy in Suffering, uh, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, it says, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. So rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So it's relating suffering and, and exceeding joy again. Now, some of you may wonder, well, I, do we really suffer here? Are we being persecuted here? Relatively, you could say no, but 
uh, we will partake of some suffering. And I know some of you already have. In 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's very clear. We have to be ready to suffer. But I think even more importantly, we have to be ready to suffer, but we have to be ready to expect joy from it. And that's what I think we're not ready for. We should be ready to expect joy from our suffering, exceedingly uh, great joy. Thirdly, uh, sing and listen to music. I won't belabor this because Phil shared uh, some great verses on rejoicing last week or worshiping the Lord in music. Psalm 98 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice, and sing praises. In Psalm 71, it says, My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. So music is a gift from God uh, to help us express our heart and to express joy in the Lord. Um, But not just any words, I would like to suggest. Not just any words can bring joy in the Lord. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs do that best. In Acts 16, in the Philippian jail, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So there they are. You know, Paul had just been scourged. He's in stocks, more than likely, in a prison, and he's singing praises, and uh, the people enjoyed them. The people, uh, even non-believers, rejoiced in them. So the persecuted do the same today. I, I left some Voice of the Martyr magazines on the back, Most of you take that magazine, but uh, I think I've read very few of those magazines who did not have, where there was not a clear testimony of things that we can't imagine going through, but our brothers and sisters were rejoicing in this way, exceedingly glad that they could suffer for the name of Christ. May it be so for us. Um, Fourthly, I would recommend, if you want to grow in joy, Just hang around people who are joyful. And may we be that crowd. Uh, In Romans 12, it says rejoice with those who rejoice. We need each other to learn how to rejoice. God uses us in each other's lives to teach us to rejoice. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says as one member suffers, all members suffer. If one member is honored or rejoicing, all the members rejoice. And I read a sermon, I read several sermons in preparation, and I can't remember the name of this quote, but I really like it. Um, it said, this man said, a joyful Christian is a walking advertisement for the validity of his faith. That's a great quote. A a joyful Christian now is a walking advertisement for the validity of his faith. You know, joy is the fruit of the Spirit, of course, so as Christians mature, uh, in general, their joy will also increase, and thus the expression of their faith to other people, uh, their outreach will be increased and blessed. Does your joy make you a walking advertisement for the Lord Jesus? Lastly, uh, last suggestion on joy, just serve and give as the Philippians did. It greatly increases our joy to do so. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 8, uh, there's a section there on giving where the Macedonian church uh, knew a great joy. Uh, They were very poor, but apparently they gave uh, very liberally. And it says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded. So they both abounded. Their joy abounded in the riches of their liberality. They gave, and they knew a joy, uh, a great joy in that. And now all these things, these suggestions uh, I just uh, gave uh, are really, the point is to uh, cause us to rejoice in the Lord. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Our greatest joy is to be near him and to be with him, and to know him and serve him. He is our ultimate joy. But these things are part of 
uh, growing in Christlikeness. In Luke 10, it says, Jesus said to the 70 whom he had sent out, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. And they were very encouraged by that. Wow, spirits are subject to us. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are saved, brothers and sisters, by grace. Your name is written in heaven. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The good works we are able to do uh, joyfully are to please him, to honor our Lord. Psalm 105 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Psalm 5 says, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. So, brothers and sisters, we are commanded to rejoice always in the Lord, and we can do that as children of the Lord, indwelled by his Spirit. The second command, pray without ceasing. First command is only two words. Second command is three words, only three words. Pray without ceasing. But, it's three words, but how easy is it to pray without ceasing? Charles Spurgeon said, pray without ceasing because the Lord never ceases to love you, never ceases to bless you, never ceases to regard you as his child. That's one great reason to never cease praying. Now, without ceasing means having begun something, having begun, you should never stop it, uh, but always continue. There should be no real, there should be no uh, continual decline in the habit of prayer for a Christian. Paul said in Ephesians 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, which connects joy and prayer and thankfulness again, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So, I believe it's helpful to ask ourselves, to ask yourself, um, to, you know, what causes me to cease praying? It's a command. We should never cease praying. What causes us, causes us to cease? Now, we know we should pray. We know we need to pray. We know we can come boldly to the throne uh, to pray by the blood of the Lord Jesus. So here's just a few thoughts. Uh, maybe they will help you think this through. First of all, we think, uh, I believe, sometimes we just can't do it. I'm not, I don't pray smoothly. I'm not, I, I, the words don't come to me very well or something. I'm not eloquent. Uh, we might also think, uh, or might, maybe it's because we just don't try. We don't, uh, we don't start. And to develop a regular habit, we have to start praying. We have to continue praying. Or we try, and we aren't sure, you know, if it was effective or, you know, uh, by our definition of effectiveness, uh, you know, we're defining that rather than going, uh, understanding the sovereignty of God. Or we just plain procrastinate. Very easy to do that. Or we allow, allow intrusions. Uh, or we don't, we just don't want to stop what we're doing. You know, we're doers. We want to accomplish this and that. And we might not think that prayer is accomplishing great things. Uh, and it takes mental time to pray. It also, it takes work. It's a conscious effort to, to pray. And it takes energy. Or we're simply not walking by faith. We're, we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. If we're uh, walking by sight, I guess we don't need to pray much. If you're attempting to walk by faith, you need to be praying. Uh, Lastly, or uh, there's two more, relationship, your relationship with the Lord just is somewhat distant. You're not communing with the Lord on a daily basis, or you have unrepentant sin. You're not confessing before the living God. Now in this verse, pray without ceasing, Charles Spurgeon wrote, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So he connected the three. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude or thankfulness. So again, he connects those three. 
And if you are joyful and praying, the natural result will be thankfulness. If you are struggling with being thankful, likely your joyfulness and your prayer life are weak. Charles Spurgeon also said, we are to pray about everything and with every prayer we must blend our thanksgivings. Hence, it follows that we ought always to be in a thankful condition of heart. Since we are to pray without ceasing and are not to pray without thanksgiving, it is clear that we ought to be always ready to give thanks unto the Lord. Some other verses that connect uh, prayer and thanksgiving. Colossians 1, verse 3 says, Give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We get, I'm sorry, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. In Colossians 4, 2, it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And you all know Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So to pray without ceasing means, of course, not just regular formal times of prayer. It means often that we will be praying without words. Like last week in the sermon, uh, in the communion meditation, I mentioned uh, crying out from our hearts. Uh, we can do that uh, verbally, non-verbally. Uh, also, we need to pray wherever we are, not a formal position or place, of course. Although those are good and those are necessary. Um, but we are to pray at all times and at any time. And we, you know, just like we breathe without ceasing, right? If we're going to exist, we breathe without ceasing. So we must pray without ceasing as believers in the living God. In Ephesians 6, uh, one of the main reasons we must be in prayer, one of the most powerful weapons in our battle gear, if you will, uh, are, and a major part of our armor is prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, it says, Praying always, this is in the section on, on being in the battle and our armor, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Spurgeon again said on this, Pray without ceasing, for the enemy works incessantly. One reason we must pray without ceasing is because our enemy is incessant in his attacks on, on us. So let's pray for each other and, and with each other. Uh, we will be doing so uh, after the uh, lunch today, we'll be praying uh, prayers of thanksgiving. Uh, also on uh, Sunday, January 11th, at the Dykstra Conference Center, uh, we will again be rejoicing in prayer. That's Saturday morning from 9 to 12. And we're going to go through the Acts acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and probably also talk about the imprecatory psalms. Uh, but then, so we will uh, give ideas on those suggestions, and then we will uh, break apart in small groups and, and pray according to those uh, topics. And uh, I would also urge you, on the back of your, if you haven't noticed yet, on the back of your notes is something I've given out uh, at least five years, probably six years, every year. Uh, every year I've given out these 10 questions by Don Whitney. The first question is, what, what's one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? I would suggest asking each person in your family, this, at least the top question, and maybe some of these other ones. I believe you'll be greatly blessed. Thirdly, our third command is, in everything give thanks. Four words. Started out with two, three, now four. In everything give thanks. Psalm 68 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The picture there is, we, and we don't think this way, but blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. We are so blessed with benefits, we're blind almost to those. We, we, we forget his benefits. In Psalm 103 it says, Forget not all his benefits. Now, the optimist says, you know, at the cup, the optimist says, 
well, my cup is, is half full. And I, I guess that's, you know, he's kind of thankful, I guess. Now, the pessimist says, my cup is half empty. Eh, it's a little negative, you know. Uh, but the child of God, the Christian says, my cup runneth over. Isn't that great? That's the way we should be looking at life. My cup runs over. Uh, we should be giving thanks in jo joyfully, uh, continually, really. And giving thanks means we are aware of and we're appreciative of God's overflowing sovereign grace on a daily basis. It says he daily loads us with benefits. In Psalm 107, which we read this morning in our time of confession, it says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, I think it would be great to paraphrase this and say, Oh, that I would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to me and to my family and to my church. May it be so. And Paul said to the Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. We should bring each other before the throne. We should be doing that consistently. Now, I know after last week, every one of you uh, have uh, two uh, direct church directories now. Maybe you've lost one already, but I can print some more. But I know you have at least two of them because we gave them to you last week. So all you have to do is put that by your table and pray consistently. How, how much change would there be in this congregation if we all were praying consistently for each other? Some of you, I know, are, are doing that. Uh, may you uh, continue to do, that, do so. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul said, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're, as we are filled with the Spirit, we will sing and we will give thanks always for all things to God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We won't be able, in fact, I believe, to stop giving thanks. And the Holy Spirit, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to make you a thankful person. In Psalm 95, verse 2, it says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Basically, every time we come before the Lord, before the presence of the Lord, we're to come with thanksgiving, even in the hardest of times. In fact, uh, that is the best thing to do in the hardest of times. To give thanks in those times really changes how you deal with those things that you're facing. Now, I'd like to give just a few examples to kind of wind up. Um, have you ever noticed how Christians who uh, have severe problems or severe trials um, and it still give thanks to God, are, are very thankful people, they really, truly highlight the grace of God. They exalt his name. Now, as I mentioned, the Voice of the Martyr magazine, uh, I am greatly blessed every time I read that magazine to, to read of the joy of the persecuted and the thankfulness to suffer for the, the name of Christ. And also, I think many of you have seen, uh, there's a, a young man named Nick uh, Vujicic. Uh, uh, his name doesn't sound like it's spelled at all. Uh, but he was born without arms and legs, and he has an appendage, I think, to help him uh, get around. But if you've never been to his website, it, it's just amazing. Uh, his ministry is called Life Without Limbs, and uh, this is a quote at the top of the website. I never met a thankful person who was bitter, or a bitter person who was thankful. And, you know, he struggled earlier in his life, but if you look at it and hear his testimony, it's just awesome. Uh, it'd be hard to not be uh, rejoicing with him. Also, Martin Rinkert. Maybe you noticed, some of you, uh, maybe you haven't looked at the final song we're going to sing today. 
is called Now Thank We All Our God. It was written by Martin Rinkert in 1636. And he, he became a deacon at the age of 31. This is in Germany. And uh, he served his flock faithfully for 31 years. He was uh, a servant for 31 years. But it was a really terrible time. Uh, in fact, the 30 Years' War, if you have studied that, was uh, during part of his uh, service in the church. And so uh, there was that. And then there was a plague, a very a plague that killed many people at that time. Then there was a famine, uh, a very serious famine. There's almost no food in the area. And then because of all those things, essentially there was a total economic collapse. He was a pastor at that time. And most of his friends died uh, of the plague or, or one of the other, you know, the famine. Most of his friends died. Most of his relatives died. And his wife died. I, I think none of his children, uh, which is amazing. But um, he... It said, uh, I read several uh, stories about him, but it said that he uh, served at thousands of funerals. That was uncountable. He didn't really, he quit counting in 31 years. Uh, but it was estimated that he even had a part in burying over 4,000 people. Uh, we can't even comprehend of such a thing. And that, here is the first verse of the song we're going to sing this morning. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, in other words, in every way we can, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. He wrote that after uh, incredible suffering. In everything give thanks. He obeyed that command. Now, Matthew Henry, I believe, uh, I've also read this, but it was some years ago. Matthew Henry was robbed. You know, the, the Matthew Henry, who was, uh, wrote the wonderful commentary on the word, he said, I thank thee first because I was never robbed before. In other words, it's the first time. Uh, second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not so much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not I who robbed. So he was thankful because he did not have the character of the man who robbed him. He was thankful that he had been redeemed and changed by the blood of the Lamb. Now these examples, or any example that you might come upon, should not guilt us into being thankful, of course, but they do remind us that God gives grace to be thankful in very tough situations. And the more you realize his grace, the more thankful you will be, and the less likely that you will be ungrateful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So how can we be more thankful and less forgetful of his grace? Uh, it's really, I think, not hard to uh, train yourself to be thankful. There's things you can do to develop the habit of thankfulness. Uh, but it's way, way too easy to be negative and ungrateful. I mean, that habit is part of our sinful nature. We don't have to work at that. So here's just a few ideas. For example, before you pray, and I know you all pray before you eat. So before you pray, uh, at the table, if uh, there's a group of you, if you're by yourself, go, anyway, go around and say something for which you're thankful. You know, start with the youngest, maybe, and uh, say no repetition, you know, something like that. That's a very simple habit that could make your, your house, uh, you could create a culture of thankfulness and gratitude in your home by doing something very simple like that. And uh, online, there were many examples that I saw of simple things that people were doing to make their family more thankful. Uh, keep a running list, in fact. Uh, just write one a day, in fact, uh, from your family. You'll have 365 at the end of the year to look at. Uh, watch, 
one thing I was thinking of is to watch the influence of the news that you uh, listen to or you read. Uh, we all get news, tons of news now, from uh, you know, the computer. Um, but I would say be very careful about that. It does have an impact on you. In Psalm 112, uh, it says, you know, blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, uh, who greatly delights in his commandments. Well, that man, the man who trusts the Lord, it says a little later that he is not afraid of evil tidings. Or another version says he's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And I think we can be impacted if we are not cautious in this area. Uh, another idea would be just hang around thankful people. Uh, you know, like you hang around joyful people to be joyful. Uh, a thankful attitude, I think, is very catching. You can't be in a group or even with one person who is just a thankful person and not be impacted by them. Pray and occupy your mind with your blessings and ask people to help you develop a habit of thankfulness. Uh, help those with less, again. You know, serve them. Uh, if you give, uh, they will be thankful, and then you will be blessed and thankful. And the last suggestion would be um, never start a day. In fact, never end a day without thanking the Lord for his salvation for you, his work on the cross, the cost that he paid to buy you back. Now, I found many websites, too, uh, many. I, there must have been hundreds of websites on the blessing of thankfulness. And they weren't really from a Christian perspective, but many of them said, uh, and there was statistical proof, I guess, uh, studies that were done that showed people are much healthier if they're thankful. So there you go. If you want to grow in health, be more thankful. Well, finally, um, if you've ever gone to R.C. Jr.'s uh, website, he's got a little part on there and it says ask RC you can ask him questions one of the questions somebody asked him was if you could go back in time what would you tell your 18 year old self I don't know how old RC is probably about 50 uh, what would you do you know if you went, could go back until you're 18 and he said this he had 10 things but this is number one on the list he said cultivate gratitude number one cultivate gratitude put to death grumbling I am persuaded the path to future blessing follows on the trail of giving thanks for past blessings. That's a great picture. The per he said, I'm persuaded the path to future blessing follows on the trail of giving thanks for past blessings, developing that habit. We, like our fathers before us, are given to forgetting, to taking grace for granted, to believing we are due more than we have been given. Like our fathers before us, we are wrong. Gratitude is its own reward, as no one has ever been truly grateful and truly unhappy. So he's saying they're mutually exclusive. You cannot be truly grateful and truly unhappy. So thankfulness is the growing characteristic of people who are aware of the sovereignty and the providence of God because God is their treasure and they trust in him. They are learning that he is their portion and their inheritance. Now all three of these commands are possible as you realize the sovereignty of God. You can rejoice because he is a sovereign God. You can pray and trust his sovereignty in your life. And you can be thankful that his sovereign will is for your good. So to live fully in your calling as children of the king, do not quench the spirit by joylessness and prayerlessness and thanklessness, but develop a lifelong habit of joyfulness, unceasing prayer, and thankfulness. If we develop these habits, I believe, this year to these uh, obedience to these three commands, uh, 2014 will truly be a blessed year. In fact, it will be the continuation of many more years of joyful communion with the Lord in prayer and thankfulness by the grace of God. 
and we will be much more prepared to rejoice eternally and to pray unceasingly and to overflow with thanks in our eternal home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so greatly blessed. You daily load us with benefits. And we have been called into your family. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. And yet we are so weak in being thankful and joyful. Oh Lord, forgive us and give us grace to obey these commands that each person here and this congregation would rejoice in the Lord and be moved to pray as we have never prayed before and that we would be a thankful people all to the glory of your name. And we do ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and because of our redemption in him. Amen. Would you rise and rejoice as we sing this song? Remember what Martin Rinkert was going through when he wrote, Now Thank We All Our God.